A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined by my co-host David Anderson as Bees Tactical's post-Christmas version of Sabri Lamushi's deep midfield double pivot. Aged and eaten way too much, no longer have the legs to move around efficiently, and if anything athletic or healthy moves around us at speed, we kick it. David, how are you doing? Hey mate, happy new year. Yeah, I'm doing really good. How are you doing, John? Yeah, really good. It's uh, it's crazy. I was watching back some clips from from Brentford's December um, and found it very odd to see people in stadiums, which was only four weeks away. So it's been a it's, it's a bit up and down, isn't it? Life in in the modern world. Well, yeah, I should say happy new lockdown. That's probably what I should have said. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, looking back at December, it seems bizarre that there were fans in stadiums. Yeah, those couple of games. Um, uh, sequential games Blackburn and I forget the other one now but yeah looking back it's weird it's been a long month and it feels like a hell of a lot's happened since the 1st of mm. December a game against Rotherham yeah absolutely packed jam-packed but a really good month in many respects for for Brentford um, the important table the form table for the month of December sees Brentford sitting on top uh, weirdly joint joint points with Barnsley but a much better goal difference than Barnsley so in many respects December has been a good month I'd say yeah nothing but a good month I think since we've been doing these and chatting this has been the best month by far um, just totally dominant uh, so eight games played in the league five wins three draws and undefeated um, scored the most goals in the league uh, it's just been a really quality month and I think there were a couple of big tests as well we had um, in the latter part sort of Bournemouth Cardiff and Watford which are just really big games, probably teams that are all going to occupy the top eight places. So in terms of team strength of, of who we played too, the outcome's just been amazing. And yeah, I, I guess we've risen to the challenge of December. It, it, it would have been quite scary looking in at the beginning, thinking, how are we going to get through this? But other than, well, yeah, other than a couple of hairy moments sort of going behind in games, which didn't actually turn out to be that hairy, we, um, we've looked quality and done really well, yeah. And I guess the old... The old uh, problems rearing their heads, perhaps, in that it just seems to seems, seems to take Brentford a little while to get up and running in a season. Now, I, I know this is a bit of an outlier of a season. Uh, there wasn't a proper pre-season as, as well, so uh, perhaps he could be forgiven for for falling into that old trap again. But do you think that's a systemic problem? Do you think there's something in that that Brentford just take a while to get get going in a season? And is that is that a bad thing? Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. No, no, not at all. I think it's. I think it's fine. Um, a season's quite long, isn't it? Like, it's just such a cliche. You don't win the league in September, October, or November, but you can do enough damage to to sort of keep you in in with the shout. But um, no, no, Brentford are always slow starters, and I think they generally are going to be because of just the model, sort of the strategy, like high turnover, um, replacing new players, embedding other players. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it's it's quite a sophisticated system, and it's a it's a sort of energetic and uh, tactical system that we play in a particular style. So, someone coming into it won't have played 
that before. So yeah, it's it's not easy to step into. I think Vitali and Elt has made it look quite easy. So I'm probably um, mm. <laughs> digging myself a bit of a hole there. But but no, 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 you're completely right. It, it, it takes a while to get onto the boil. And I think we're starting to see now that the team has settled and it, it's looking strong. Um, yeah, just picking up on, yeah, just... Um, there's team strength as well, like an ex, uh, just the ratio throughout December. I just I had this noted down, so I just wanted to say. Um, cumulative XG4 is about 11 and against is 5.7. So again, like in this month, just one of the toughest months, Brentford are like a 66% ratio team for XG4. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. I think playing nine games because we had the cup game against Newcastle in a really condensed, busy month where the actual Christmas period itself just seems like there's football on every two minutes. It's it's bizarre that they've come through this so well and um, just testament to the to the team and the squad and the, all of the coaching staff. Hmm. And before we get into things, I guess we should do uh, a little bit of an uh, episode outline so that people can situate themselves in the episode. So we are going to just briefly talk through the key games from the month. Um, and then we will get around to answering some of your questions. So um, that's something to look forward to. Um, and I guess it's been a, we should also talk about it. it's been a good month for Bees Tactical. Um, you've had a, a fair amount of things out on the on the channel this this month as well. So do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on on Bees Tactical before we jump into the, the month in, 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 in full? Uh, yeah, there's been some good stuff. Um, there was a really cool chat I did with Nathan. Um, Nathan is, uh, well, I called him the tactics guru at the Extra Inch um, prior to the cup game um, a couple of days ago, which we're still getting over. Uh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, uh, what else did I do? I did a cool little video just looking at Blackburn, the Blackburn 2-2 draw, and um, Blackburn went down to 10 men but still managed to come back. And I just had a little play with Metrica Sports um, package. Uh, and just looked at some of the key strengths of Blackburn and how they were basically just ran straight through us. And um, Joe Rothwell had a bit of a field day through the middle of the park and it looked like he was targeting that area, like our static 4-3-3 and he doesn't like to deal with runners. Um, and yeah, December, yeah, other than that, I can't think what else is coming to my head. But yeah, it's it's been a busy month and it's all a bit of a whirlwind. But yeah, plenty to catch up on. So should we jump into the the games themselves then? Um, so as you've mentioned already, eight league games in December. Um, there's also a win over Newcastle in the cup, which was which was another big um, opponent that you didn't mention. I, I suppose Newcastle are here or here or there, maybe maybe even a Championship side next mm. year. But um, yeah, it, it's been a good month. Only the only side unbeaten in that time. So the month kicked off with a with a two nil win against Rotherham, which was fairly. Um, routine I thought um, and then the, there was that Blackburn draw um, which was I think a bit of a low light you've described it as with with I guess you going 2-1 up to 10 men and then and the, and, the, and then Blackburn getting a late late equaliser uh, you've described that as a low light but clearly it didn't impact the the rest of the month but was was there anything in that Blackburn game that you wanted to talk about in particular yeah I think it was um, I, I think it's probably a low light because uh it was so, so basically we obviously five substitutions on the table now. So um, seeing out games and um, making changes is is really important. And I think Frank got a little bit excited, and he I think he used all five changes. And um, uh, there's a sort of debate whether Rico Henry could do with a rest, and he plays a lot of football, so he was taken off with ten minutes to spare. And I, I don't think there's an issue with it. Um, it doesn't look bad at all. It's just you're two one up against ten men. If you can't take your left back who plays every minute of every single game off against 10 men when you're 2-1 up and 10 minutes left, then when can you? But he came off uh, Dominic Thompson, who's gone on loan to Swindon now for the rest of the season. He came on and um, the goal kind of came down the right-hand side, which you can see on the video as well. And it was just a couple of unlucky bounces and then the ball drops to a Blackburn player in the box and yeah, he, he puts it away. So... I think there was probably too many changes made and I think they just disrupted the flow just a tiny bit and Brentford lost a bit of cohesion and Blackburn gained in strength and they're a good team anyway so I don't think you can be complacent against them but it, it was just a bit of a low light because I think it should have been a game that we saw out and won and mm. this month looks another two points better off instead of 18, there's maybe 20. Mm, yeah, uh, That was followed up by a nil-nil draw against Derby where it looked like you dominated, um, and uh, again, looking at the at the highlights from the game, I was surprised that you didn't score. Um, it, you then went on uh, on onto a game against Forest, a three-one win away from home. Um, 
there was a hat tip to Sabri Lamushi in the, the intro to our to our episode and forests still seem to be suffering from post Lamushi uh, whatever it is um, but that was a that was a good result and then uh, the next game I think which is a fairly important game was as you've mentioned the, the game against Watford uh, which was a, a 1-1 draw um, and that was quite a key game I guess the the opposite really of of the Blackburn game in the sense that you went a goal down and uh, managed to um, managed and down to 10 men and managed to pull back a draw so what did you take from the Watford game yeah I think there was some big learnings from the Watford game actually it's um so Watford are a strange team they have some players that are for sure Premier League quality but I'm not sure they're together they are a Premier League side so just Saar and um, just a couple of dangerous forwards but uh, they're a strange team and sort of Dini up front I think if they, things need to get to Dini's feet for him to be effective off the ball he's pretty much useless now he's an ineffective and just sort of strolls around but the fact that we went down to 10 men and still looked really comfortable against them and pretty much controlled the game without the ball sort of defensively still um, kept a lot of our same, uh, our shape our 4-3-3 was just down to 4-3-2 so we looked good and we still created good chances when we were down to 10 men so I, I felt like we were the stronger and actually the team that were going to nick it which was really interesting. And yeah, just the the red card was slightly frustrating, I think. It was something I spoke about to Nathan, one of the fears I had with Pinnock um, and sort of his long gangly legs. And oh. he's he's such a good defender. He's fantastic, really. He's brilliant. But his only, he's just a bit of a wiry frame and these legs and these strides can get a little bit tangly. And I think players are going to, this is the sort of area where you're looking, how can you exploit a centre-back who's fast, who's strong and can sort of, make interceptions as well just wait for him to sort of hit you and clumsily bump into you and um, these legs mm. come in the way and Saar did that really well and got a penalty and yeah with, without that they didn't look too good I think they're a pretty pretty average team and the manager had to go because you could see that they were struggling and they weren't re- they didn't really deserve to be fighting at the top of the table it wasn't sustainable but I, I think seeing how strong we were against a team that had just dropped down and had a lot of players with Premier League experience and how we basically just um pretty much dominated them until the red and uh, looked okay with 10 men mm. uh, yeah the most notable thing from that game I think was the fact that Sorensen originally got sent off <laughs> uh, which uh, <laughs> yeah. I think says everything you need to know about the, the refereeing team there mm. but um, that was followed up by a Reading win um, which uh, again uh, you know you've mentioned uh, you've mentioned the big teams that you beat but Reading are up there in the in the in the playoff spaces maybe again slightly overperforming but um, still good to get a, a win against Reading um, and then I think what was one of the key games uh, of the month the Cardiff away win um, a, a game with a lot of lovely goals in it actually <laughs> um, and uh, Sergi Canios um, hat trick to to boot so um, what did you make of the of the Cardiff uh, win and why do you think it was such a key game for the bees uh, yeah so Cardiff was I, I, I guess it's the timing of it as well so it's a boxing day game you, you feel like you've just had Christmas it feels it feels big it feels it feels like a potential moment to sort of slip up and um and yeah, Cardiff are a strong team. I don't. I think without um, uh, Kiefer Moore now, they're not quite the same outfit they would have been prior to that. But they're still a strong team, and they they always they're the kind of team we've struggled against because they're physical, because they're intense, and they 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 can press us really hard. Just they can wait for us. They can sit back. They're just a team we've always struggled against. So you're looking out for this one as um, yeah as a as a potential as a potential game to sort of drop points, and it feels even bigger being sort of Boxing Day, but. Um, yeah, the the game itself was just pretty comfortable. I think we were easily the better team. We limited them to almost nothing. Um, pretty controlled. I, I don't think they had many efforts on goal. The, the XG timeline looked pretty much dominant for us. And then there's a ball, the, a ball gets cleared out from one of uh, our corners, and Will Volks picks it up. And he's not really the quickest player. hasn't doesn't really have many dribbling skills. Um, Glatzel's there as well, and uh, Glatzel's not really quick and not going to dribble it. And they just play a one-two with each other. And Volks looks up and just just hits one from his own half. And Raya is Raya. He's an aggressive keeper. He's got, a, got an aggressive positioning, and he's nowhere near this. This ball just sails over his head and just drops into the goal, and it's it's perfect. And it and you're thinking, okay, we've dominated this game, and Will Volks has hit one from <laughs> from his own half. And uh, w- what's going on here? And I, I think it's those sorts of moments in the past where 
we'd have conceded there and we'd have thought, okay, there's no route back here. This is it. We're going to lose this 1-0. But there's a different mentality this season. And it, it was a great goal. You just have to give credit to Volks. That's all they did, really, that half. But the fight back was quite impressive and it was um, it was led by Sergi Canos. But yeah, you've seen you've seen the incident. There was a bit of a flat for Rea and I think these moments when... Um, when goalkeepers make sort of big howlers, they are sort of highlighted, but there's so much good that he brings. And I think a lot of people sort of claw back to the the final, the playoff final last season against Fulham, where Ray was caught out sort of being aggressive again. And it's it's this harping on to, is he a weak keeper or is, he, is there mistakes there? But uh, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on <laughs> sort of the, the goalkeeping aggression and how good they are with their feet and the rough with the smooth, basically. Yeah, goalkeepers are interesting, aren't they? Because, uh, you know, it's so much of what people re- do when they respond to goalkeeping situations is is often confirmation bias stuff. So people will make their mind up about a goalkeeper if they're good or bad and then will will sort of fascinate upon the things that prove that they are good or bad. Um, I guess Raya was 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 upbraided a little bit in the in the playoff final. Um, sorry to bring that bad memory up for you as well. Um I think, look, I think that we're in the same situation at Leeds, right, in that you you have a situation where your goalkeeper is as much a part of the build-up play Mm. as as anything. And and as a result of that, you, you sort of, you sort of, as you've mentioned, you take the rough with the smooth. You take what you can get um, in terms of a good ball playing goalkeeper, and um, and then you 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 sort of hope that they'll they'll be fine with the with the shot stopping. And we're lucky with Elan Melier because because that's that was that's um, been absolutely brilliant for us. But with Kiko Casilla, it was a it was a different story. Um, I my impression of Ray is that he's a really good goalkeeper I, I, I wouldn't have any issues with him and I, my yeah response to that situation would be exactly the same as yours in in that sense that that it, it this is this is a sort of opportunity cost thing isn't it you mm. you play the aggressive goalkeeper so that you can push forward um, main, maintain possession and then every hundred games or so you'll have a freak situation where that aggressive goalkeeping costs you something but you've got to think in terms of the counterfactuals and the amount of goals that you prevent by playing in that way as well and, and try and be a little bit more balanced on it yeah exactly that yeah I, yeah I completely agree I just wanted to quickly say like it's it's all the benefits so the benefits of him playing out the benefits of how quick he is sort of cutting out through balls or or being aggressive and then that how that sort of factors into the opposition and how they it's how they don't do things because they know that rare is able to cut that out so you're you're kind of preventing something before it's even happened so you make people think in a different way and just these big moments make it seemed much worse than it is. It's still one goal. It's still, um, it's still, it's not three goals. It's just a, it's just an event that's happened and it's at a goal and it just gets magnified. But yeah, I, I don't think I'd swap him for any other keepers in the championship, basically. No, we did have a question from Will Gore who said, interested to see who we go with keeper-wise post-Raya. Are we prepping Gunnarsson or Balcom to take over? Guess it depends a bit on how long Raya is with us for and it seems like now is a great time to discuss that. What do you reckon? Yeah, that was a good question actually. Yeah, I so Gunnarsson's just come back from a loan with FC Viborg. Um, he's did, he did really well there. They're top of the league. Um, I think they have a really good sort of, um, uh, sort of expected goals against as well and yeah, I, I think he's done quite well out there. So he's come back. Ellery Balcom's just signed a really long new deal. So there looks like there's some confidence in him. But he's gone out on loan to Doncaster. So there's faith in him in the future. I I, I think it's a battle between these two, really. Like, they're, they're good keepers. I'm not sure how... They're, not, they're nowhere near as good on their feet as Rare is. They're a long way away from that. But with sort of dedicated coaching and they're young and they're still developing, I think you can turn a goalkeeper that isn't exceptional with their feet at that young age to being better and sort of being able to handle that I think you see some of these big bulky keepers now who are trying to play like that look a bit stupid but these these younger players can develop so it does depend on how long Ray wants to stay around so if Brentford don't go up this year I'd, I'd have thought he'd go I don't think he'd want to play in the championship again and there probably will be offers for him but then if Brentford do go up does he commit to one season in the Premier League because it's really just a financial question whether they're going to be paid enough and I, th- I think they probably will. Like there'll they'll be just big increases in salaries, so maybe he will offer another year. But yeah, I, I don't think it's a huge concern. I think there'll be other goalkeepers that, if he does go, that will come into the frame. Or it might be that it's time to give one of the other guys, Balcom or Organarsson, a go in the Premier League. I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't see it as a big concern really. 
Hmm. Another question that was raised um, about certain players, and I guess this this links quite nicely to the Cardiff win, is um, from BLFJ, who asked two questions really. So the first one was about Yanelt versus Norgard. Obviously, Norgard's injury has meant that Yanelt has had a, a lot of game time, and um, it would be interesting to compare those two. But also, Canyos, what the fuck happened is the question. <laughs> um, obviously, a, a hat trick. Um, uh, we, 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 again, you, you, you know, we've just talked about how you can have confirmation bias, and uh, I think it's important not to just base your opinion on on, on a player on based on ninety minutes of, uh, of good football. But um, a really good hat trick from him. What's your what what happened with Canos? What would you say? Well, Canos is yeah probably the the most other than Marconde is probably the most divisive Brentford player on the on the roster on the squad. Um, so I, I don't think anything's really happened with Canos, actually. I think he's just the same as he was. He's He looks fitter and he looks um, a little bit sharper and his touch is a little bit tighter, but he's still um, a largely erratic, sort of inaccurate player. But I, I think that's fine because he's so good defensively and he works so hard. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you're just going to get moments like this in games. So he had, I think he had 10 shots against Cardiff, which is incredible. Uh, five of them were on target and three of them were goals. Like, this is just... It's outrageous numbers, really. I mean, um, yeah, the goals he scored as well were one of them was sort of a, a bit of a cross which the keepers let in. Um, uh, another one was a, a volley, which is a really sort of technically good volley, which they probably score in training quite a lot. The ball's just bouncing to him in the bo- at the edge of the box, and he's hit it coming out from high up in the sky, and it's just looped past the keeper. And the and his other was really well worked, cutting in from the right and um, firing it in low. So, yeah, I mean, having ten shots in the game is the kind of thing that's not repeatable. Uh, Canos <laughs> is not an accurate shooter. We a few pods ago we we looked at him in a bit more depth. He's he's just an erratic shooter. Um he's had a couple of good moments. He had a really good moment against Blackburn when they were down to 10 men. He cut in from the left and fired one into the top corner. Um he's had a really good game against Cardiff. A lot of things have come off, but I don't think too much has changed in the sense of him. He hasn't become a really accurate, uh, deadly player overnight. He's just become slightly luckier and things are coming off for him. And uh, he's just involved in goals. So it probably the people who think he's been brilliant all this time are probably confirmed that. And people who think he's rubbish are not quite <laughs> confirmed what they think. And he's probably just in between those two things. He's just a good, really hardworking player who isn't quite as accurate as he should be. But his all-round game is enough to get him into the team. Here's a correlate for you. Compare uh, Sergi Canos with Jack Harrison. <laughs> yeah, I think there's similarities there. I, I think I think Harrison has a harder deal of it because he plays on the left on his stronger side. So he's always uh, he's he's got a defender to get past around the outside. And I think when you're isolating him on that side and the ball gets out to him and he's one v one, it's okay. But I, I don't see the left side being Lee's strong side, and I think he because he's so hardworking and because his just energy levels are really high, and um, he kind of takes a brunt for the team. And I think Canos is a little bit like that as well. Actually, mm. there's similarities where you know they're dedicated; they just don't get upset, they just keep going, and their their determination and sort of the willingness to just keep trying and keep trying is probably quite underrated. And yeah, I, I think Harrison gets a fair flack as well, but it's. <laughs> Yeah, you obviously want more for them because of how much they see the ball and how much comes out of their output. Mm. You're, you're always questioning, like, oh, gosh, if you um, yeah. if you gave that time to a, an even better player. But but then would a better player be um, able to deal with those setbacks because they sort of have this bit of a selfless talk where they're working hard defensively and then they've got to get up and down the wing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think there are similarities between the two, but I think Harrison probably has it even harder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the way that we describe... Um... Harrison on all stats aren't we as as a bit of a bottleneck so because so much of our attack goes through that that side in certain situations you're only as good as that bottleneck you're only as wide as that bottleneck is and Mm -hmm. I think what I've noticed watching Canos and watching Harrison is that they both have the capacity capacity to play at such a high level in moments um the problem is, is that you know, for for Canos and and Harrison to do well, they need to do they need to pull off a couple of high level uh, actions in a row. Mm. I'm thinking like the the Harrison goal against Liverpool, right, where the where Phillips plays that ball into him, he takes the ball down, goes around two two defenders, and then has a perfect shot. That's great when it happens, but it happens. It's so infrequent that he will do three 
or four great things in a row um that the the rest of the time you're sort of raising the question well you know there's just such inconsistency that yeah it's fine it's he's an important player and he's well worth his place in the team but you you're constantly getting these flashes of brilliance and they're they're sort of punctuated by moments of, of, of what looks like very, very clumsy football. I, I, again, I don't know if you would agree with, with that and as a correlate to Canos. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you're, you're right. I think once they get the ball, there's, they're either really wide and sort of three or four things have to happen before they can have a shot. And then mm. the energy they've put in to work into the space to get the ball and then move towards goal, you, you, you're not always going to get the perfect result. Otherwise, these players wouldn't probably be a, a Leeds or Brentford. They'd be somewhere else mm. because they are more consistent or they are even better. Or it's impossible to stop them. And it's not impossible to stop them. That's why they've Harrison went out to America and has worked his way back into the UK. And Canos has been at Brentford for seven, eight years, working his way up mm. as a youth player. So, yeah, I think we're probably a bit harsh on them sometimes. But they're nowhere near as bad as people make out. But No, of course. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about you know versus Norgard then. How would you how would you set out the the similarities and differences between them? Yeah, this is really interesting actually. I think um, so. Norgard came back briefly against uh, Newcastle from a really long term injury, and he seems to have disappeared again. So I th- it's not been confirmed, but um, I don't know if there's been a recurrence of his other injury or. But something doesn't seem right, and he's disappeared again. So when he did come back, I think there were questions, and people started to look at how well we were doing without Norgard and saying, is there a place for him? Um, has Janelt taken that deep um, pivot role? And uh, yeah, basically because Janelt is big and he's he looks strong and physical, he's automatically this sort of holding pivot midfielder. And I, I don't think he's like that at all. I think it's just where our perceptions can take us down a, down a route with a player. So Norgard is that kind of player he he likes to sit and he likes to sort of stay under the ball and um, make sure he doesn't get caught ahead of the ball because he's not really very quick you can see when he does get caught out he he has to put his head down he has to really power he just doesn't have that recovery pace whereas Janelt is a bit more of a marauding player he likes to get on the ball there's um there's in if you look back at some of his sort of uh, moments on Y Scout, he's he's there doing sort of flicks on the edge of the box, and he's getting into the box, and he's getting to the byline. He's a very aggressive player in his movement, so he's not he's not naturally a sitter. And I think the two players can function together. I, th- I think characteristically, it's, this probably sounds weird to people, but there's probably more similarities between De Silva than and Janelt than really Norgard and Janelt. Like Norgard is very much just a sitter. He, he's very happy with that, and I think he likes to give that structure to the team and let the two players ahead of him roam. Whereas Janelt, when he plays in the midfield, there's much more rotation between the three players. So whoever's in the midfield, someone else will drop deep and he'll go into into a forward position and look for the ball or or sort of drop back himself and move. It's much more fluid. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lengthy old... You could have a big discussion on them, but I, I don't think they're too similar actually at all. And I think it's just us mm. placing... Um, just this big physical player is like a holding destructive midfielder when he's much more ranger he's good on the ball and he has a very good shot and yeah there's just much more to his game than probably uh, probably Norgard has yeah I, I agree with you I think they are very different players and um, I remember I think it was, was it last month when he scored was it, you know scored the equaliser against it was, Swansea it was, was QPR it I think QPR. I think it was the early one against QPR yes yeah Ah, right. It was a single goal, right, in a win. So yeah, and I, I, I think that that's just a really nice uh, aspect to, to have. And, and watching the highlights from this month as well, there's a few times where he just pops up on the edge of the box mm. and, and is able to, you know, take a snapshot. And it's just nice having that that kind of option. That's something that I think a lot of people say about Calvin Phillips. You know, it'd be nice if he got in the goals a bit more, which I, I think is largely nonsense. But if you can have a player who can play in that position and still. Um, get it get in 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 and amongst the goals i think that's a really good weapon to have in your in your arsenal as well yeah yeah just um just to quickly finish up i think that's that's where he differs as well he's sort of not just from set pieces from open play he's a genuine threat with his left foot on the edge of the box and yeah norgard um tries but he isn't quite there with that with that sort of um with that sort of outside of the box shooting Mm. yeah right Let's get back to the month of December um, before we go off tangentially. But mm. that was that the uh, Cardiff game was followed up by a very good uh, win against Bournemouth um, just to, to top off the the end of December um, just before the new year came around. A two one win, uh, clearly a, a key game. So, what was your takeaway from from the Bournemouth game? 
yeah this was awesome actually this was a, a really good game i think uh overall so the the first the first 15 minutes were pretty brutal for Bournemouth I think we saw their quality just on the ball their movement they were really hard to pick up and they had some big chances in the first and it could we were quite lucky to sort of survive that um, first phase of the game um, and keep it nil-nil there was one cleared off the line um, really good save Um, a lot of it was coming down the left-hand side as well we just struggled to pick that up and um, yeah they they just started well I mean they're a strong team it's not there's no messing around they're a really good side and they're going to they're going to be I think if you finish above Bournemouth this year you're either, you're going to be in the automatic spots that's for sure so a really strong team but after that first 15 minutes I, I think we controlled the game and Frank said this as well in his interview that um, they made a couple of well they made some switches um, and Bemo worked a little bit harder got closer to the Dallas guard but yeah we, we went to goal down and it's this left-hand side again and probably should mention it I think one of Brentford's big weaknesses is crossing and I think a lot of these crosses are coming in from this left-hand side and it's just one of the the negative points of like a 4-3-3 system so if you think about the three midfielders and the three forwards you can you sort of vacate the wings a little bit when you're out of possession and there's just such space down there and if you do have an attacking left back and um, Bournemouth in this instant had Kelly instance had Kelly um, against Spurs which we'll chat about probably in a bit they had Reguilon these these players that if all the players on the right-hand side, it doesn't take long for a quick switch of play. Like good teams can do this; they they can just use the other wing very quickly, and it's really hard to get out to them and close crosses. So, this is Brentford's big weakness: crosses. So, if you don't stop the cross, it's coming into the box, and um, yeah, you're you're still gambling. Then you've got to you've got to watch a striker. You've got to watch the ball coming in; it becomes an issue. And um, Solanke scored a really good goal with a Kelly cross in, and uh, and Bremo couldn't get out there in time. Dalsgaard had tucked into the box as a as a third centre back, and it was just far too easy for them. But we came back, and again, this is similar with Cardiff. Um, adversity doesn't really rock us this season. Go a goal down, and we, um, and it's the same against Spurs as well. We we still look strong. We we look like we have belief in coming back into this game. And I think it's bizarre to think this, but losing Tony, losing um sort of Watkins and Ben Rama, you think big goal threats, but. Tony coming in, I think he's added another level of confidence to this team and they believe that he can score every game. So we're good for one goal. Um, and then they probably mm. be, believe we're better than all these teams. So we should be getting two goals a game. So pr- last year, I think we thought we had one goal in us against these teams. If we, did, if we didn't score, uh, that's it. But yeah, we just worked our way back into the game really, really well. And um, uh, it was a cross from a set piece and Dalsgaard scores a really strong header at the near post. Janelle mm. does a good block on the on the front post there and Dalsgaard's got a bullet header in and um, takes about to 1-1 and I think that was deserved because we come back into the game at that point and then um, the winner late on uh, Tariq Fosu the A lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states Learn more at UH1.com How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One of the smallest players back post on the pitch, and I think you were impressed by what went on before that. Yeah, Brian Mbemo. Um, we should talk about Mbemo, I think, in general, because last month it felt as though people were a little bit um, meh about Mbemo. Um, but I've been reading stuff that, that suggested that he had really um, was really hit hard by coronavirus. So um, we're starting to see these sorts of stories filtering through in football now where where players um, are, are just taking ages to recover. And I think, you know, that he looked really sharp for that for that second goal, that uh, the, the, the cut inside and then the Cruyff turned back back around and the right footed cross into into um, Fosu, who just had an absolutely basic header into the goal. Um, absolute joy to watch Mbemo when he's at his finest. And it's a shame that we haven't seen uh, more of that this season so far. So, I want, yeah, I wondered on your take on Mbemo and, and whether or not you think it, it is just him taking his time to get over the coronavirus yeah I think I think there's something there in that definitely um I think what's also probably needs to be addressed is last season was just a huge over overperformance from him like he was um it was his first year uh a lot came off him he scored so many goals I think he got 14 I think he got a hell of a lot of assists as well he was he just had a really good introductory season but there were moments in games where he was off like really off and um, his touch was poor and he's a, he's still a young developing player so his output last season has probably helped put him on a bit of a, a pedestal and um, people expect so much and think he's a finished article but I think if you watch him at length over long periods he had an up and down season last year with just with just great goal output um, add in COVID to that and you've got a young player who is developing um, I, I think it's only fair to say and well yeah to fair to expect a drop off but to say that he has struggled a little bit I think there's two ways I guess you can do it you can sort of say well let's pull him out of the team and let's let him recover or you can let him play through it and is he good enough is he is he sort of uh, coming back into the team and trying to get back to fitness is he still good enough to have an impact and I, I think he is he has had an impact um, it's been a little bit muted compared to what we'd have expected but yeah as you saw with that that trick against um, uh, I think it was Rico on the left back for Bournemouth um, to do a Cruyff turn on your stronger side to go onto your weaker side and then have the confidence mm. to chip that in on your on your weak foot. I, yeah, it's it's mesmerising and it's really impo- It's really hard to defend against because you're not expecting him to go on that side and then he, the ball in is impeccable and it just cuts everyone out of the game. No one can see what's what's happening and uh, yeah, it's it's pleasing to see because I think fans especially are just probably a bit too hard on players and we're we're seeing a lot more of this football so the microscope is. Um, is on them and uh, there doesn't seem to be much leeway for a dip in performance and I, th- I think it's just something you have to expect with with young developing players especially those that suffer with with this um, dreadful illness mm. and the other player that you mentioned um, with respect to Bournemouth was Ivan Tony, who has been absolutely spectacular since he arrived at Brentford uh, just again I was just having a great time this morning watching the replays for the highlights for all of the games just to refresh my mind and and just seeing him scoring and playing just remarkably um just ev- ev- in every way like even even his penalties are great right <laughs> um and he's had a few of those this month so what a what a player to have picked up in in the summer and um you know the at, at times, I suppose we were we were interested in whether or not Brentford were going to be the, the force that they were last season, this season, and it seems as though that's going to be the case. And a lot of it is down to Ivan Tony. Yeah, absolutely. He's come in, and uh, yeah, he was a little bit in the first sort of parts of the season. He was quite clunky. It felt like he was bolted onto the team. Um, he's not. His, his strength isn't really travelling with the ball. Like you could see that early on, and much the opposite to really Watkins and Ben Rama in the front in the front line. They just love the ball at their feet, and they can run and hold off players. So he he looked very different to that. But it didn't take him long to sort of start improving in that area. And now we're sort of seeing his his confidence, and he has he's been a little bit quieter, I guess, in December compared to some of the previous months goals wise. But um, we're just seeing a. a completely physical strong really really quick and sort of much more intricate player than he was before so his touch has just improved and you can see that 
where probably he's he's relied on his physicality in the in League One. He's actually got to get better technically now, and you can see it's coming through. And he he carries the ball better. He runs into the channels with the ball. He can hold up play better. I, I think against Watford, he was just insane. I think that's where we saw him uh, really sort of show how much he's developed. So we were down to ten men. I, th- I think he occupied the Watford centre backs on his own until Force came on and they went two up front quite comfortably and he gave them a really, bit of a torrid night so yeah he's he's been a joy to watch he's re- I think we're really lucky to have him he's easily the best striker in the division um, mm. yeah, there's no yeah there's no one anywhere near him probably Pookie's the closest but I think if you let me have a choice between the two I'd rather have Tony just just but, much much better rounded isn't he I think yeah Tony I, I can think do loads more than Pookie can yeah, yeah I think with Pookie you you're not really thinking about crosses and you're not thinking he's going to win aerials I think you have to play really really intricately through the middle whereas Tony I think mm. he can play long um he can come and drop drop short um he can spread it out wide I think he can score crosses as well he doesn't want to be on the ball as much in the deeper areas and I think Pookie does and it just suits Norwich's system a bit more but yeah if you're looking for an all-round striker I think it's not going to be long until yeah he's a Premier League player and just hopefully with Brentford mm. so that was December um, but what we are going to do is we're going to break pod tradition and discuss a game that was in January um, because I think it, it's only right for us to talk a little bit about the Spurs game um, obviously a, a big game in Brentford's history as a semi-final in the cup um, is it you, I think were you saying that it was the first time Brentford have ever been in a semi-final of a, of a cup yeah I think it's the furthest yeah. ever in a, in a cup competition yeah that's right mm. so let's let's discuss the Spurs game because I think um, having rewatched the game you know it was, it was a game where I, I think what's the cliche that people say that you, you sort of gave a good account of yourself mm. is what they say so what, what did you make of the of the Spurs game well uh, I think first and foremost I think the cliche of giving a good account of ourselves I, I think that stands true here I think we did I think if you looked at the two teams and you watched it back and watched it back a couple of times and then look at the intricate moments I, I don't think there's a huge gulf in the two teams. I think if you sort of break down player performances and a couple of moments that of influence that players had, then then there's a difference. Um, Yeah, Kane's obviously one of the best. Like if Kane goes onto the open market tomorrow, he's uh, he's probably going to attract like a a hundred million fee. Um, Son as well. That these are some of the best players in the world. And then midfield wise, Sissoko's played in the cup uh, World Cup final, I believe. They're a, they're a good team individually. I don't think they're greater than the sum of their parts, though. I think the manager has something to do with that. But I, I don't think we looked out of our depth. I don't think any players really looked like they shouldn't have been on that field or, or anything in the particular system made them look weaker. I think we probably didn't play quite to our maximum. But um, yeah, looked far closer to the team than I think to, to Spurs than I think a lot of people would have believed. And um, just a, just slightly unlucky, really. I think if you're looking at sort of the VAR disallowing goals by millimetres and um, a couple of better touches, uh, a cutback from Mbremo where Tony's shot is blocked on the line by Aurier, who just, yeah, I don't know how he even got there. But there's a few fine moments where some of the attacking play could have been rewarded more. So we could have been talking about a 1-1 game or sort of going in later to the latter stages drawing instead of um, them being ahead but they're a good team um, they have good players and they're, they're they're a defensively sound team as well I think it just gets underrated how much or how good they are without the ball and how, how disciplined in terms of that, that 4-2-3-1 shape it's really hard to break through and then they sort of suck you onto themselves and then Kane drops deep and he picks the ball up in his own half and then He's just a bit of a freak size-wise. Three, three or four strides later, he's on the edge of the box and he's just travelled with the ball and you're thinking, how's a player this size moving this quickly with the ball and you're, you're defending a counter-attack? So it was a, it was a difficult game. Um, I, think we, I think we did well and I think a couple of players will be really proud of their performances. Yeah. What did, what did you take away? How did you feel? Yeah, it was, I thought it was, it was an interesting game, I thought, because... I was imagining what Brentford would look like if they were in the Premier League this season. And it's obviously hard to do, given that you would have kept some players that you, you got rid of. But I thought, like you said, just with the, the Leeds um, comparison, mm. you know, Leeds played um, Spurs recently as well and, and went down 3-0. And I think in, in many respects that was... <laughs> you know we didn't we didn't quote unquote give a good account of ourselves perhaps but um there was also you know game stating going on there i feel as though the similarities between 
Spurs getting a penalty out of nowhere after we'd played fairly well for the first 20 minutes mm. was similar to what happened in, in, in your game in that you played fairly well in the first few minutes and, uh, and, and they got a goal out of nowhere from just a sort of whipped cross in um, which which found Sissoko's head perfectly. So it's it's one of those ones where, like you say, Jose Ball is all about it's all about maintaining game state and control and relying on the fact that you're going to have better players mm. in forward areas than than other teams. So you sit you sit deep in a in a sort of four a four a back four and a two uh, midfielder block. You occasionally commit. Um, one of those six players forward to help out with the attack, but you're essentially relying on your four pronged attack to, to, to score. Um, I, I suppose like low percentage chances and, um, the, the, the conceit to that approach is that, well, you won't give up many good chances yourself. Mm. So you just have to hope that you overperform your expected goals and the, the opposition underperform their expected goals. And I think in certain leagues that can work. And uh, especially when you have players of the ability of, of Son and Kane. But we, we also live in an age where like decent teams now are tactically astute and are better than the sum of their parts. Mm. And I think my whole thing about Jose Mourinho is that, you know, he, he, he he's only ever able to be mildly successful in the, in the last 10 years or so when when weirdness happens in the league so he can get Manchester United to second in the Premier League when when all the other elite sides have, have, have fallen off a little bit he's been at the top of the table this season when we've had the coronavirus ripping through the country um, the big question for me is it, it all things remaining equal and we were to go back to a state of normality how how good would his spurs be um uh, one of my friends was saying that he he was looking at the table this 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 year and 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 was looking at it and said whoever wins the, the league if if it if it carries on at the current rate will win by with a points total of something like 75 points <laughs> and i think that's why spurs are in in the mix because the the table is so unique this time around so it I, again, this sounds like two guys being a bit salty that Spurs have Mourinho'd them, and and I think that's fair enough. But the the, the big questions do remain: is that in, you know in the long term, and that's what we're all about, right? Is is about thinking about the long term. Is it a sustainable way of playing football? Probably not. And I think when you come out against teams like Leeds and and teams like Brentford, and you don't look much better than than them in terms of mm. the, the quality that you have on the field matching up um, to not too much in terms of on pitch, pitch action, then. I guess there are questions to be raised about the the whole underlying ideology of Jose Ball, um, as you called it. Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah, so I remember chatting to Nathan prior to the game and just trying to get out of him what obviously because I don't get to watch Spurs as much as him, uh, <laughs> which would be physically impossible. Yeah, but it was it was like I was trying to get a measure of where he kind of viewed them and where he thought they were, and I said like the pantheon of Premier League teams, and he was basically there were. He he described them as like a Europa League team. Like they're not quite the top two. They're not really the top four for sure. They're probably in that band of teams that are just below, like Everton, maybe, maybe not quite Leicester, but you know what I mean. That that little bunch just below mm. the the elite. And I, I think watching them in greater depth uh, on Tuesday, I, I really agree. And I think from what I'd seen, it's probably confirmed what I thought as well. They, they have some exceptional players, and you just well it's not really you don't wonder some of these players played under Pochettino quite recently and they were outstanding they were getting to Champions League finals they were they were looking like they were going to push the league all the way and that was when teams were a bit stronger it wasn't quite the season we have this year so yeah Jose's um he's riding a bit of a wave of sort of inconsistency and just weird stuff going on um I I don't think it's going to last I, I don't think I wasn't madly impressed with them when I saw them, if I'm honest. I think they were functional. And I think when you look at some of the players they have, and Ndombele, um, uh, Son, Kane, I just, it seems a bit like, what's it all for? What's the point of it all, really? You may as well just swap. You could just swap Son for Troy Deeney, or you could swap, um, sorry, Kane for Troy Deeney, or just any other winger for Son. And you wouldn't really, nothing's going to excite you. So, yeah, I, I wasn't massively impressed. I think that they are still a good team. Um very good defensively and they can create chaos and yeah we struggle to pick up Kane at times but I'm not sure uh yeah if I was a if I was a paying fan and I had a a season ticket I wouldn't I wouldn't be too excited by what I'm seeing uh by Jose (laughs) yeah 
I, I think the Europa League team uh, analogy is good. And in, in, insofar as it feels as though it's a sort of mid-table team with a few decent players added, um, mm. you know, in the sense that Everton are probably quite good right now because they've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and I suppose Hammers, Rodriguez or Richarlison. It, it feels as though they they sort of get they get a lot out of um out of just having those players who are just in peak form and and, and that's about it um which is i, I think maybe crazy because i think spurs's squad is probably better than that yeah i agree um i think they should be aiming for higher than that but i suppose that's what you do when you go for for Mourinho and um well, we could talk about this all, all day, but um, yeah, there were a couple of I other too... incidents from the game. Let's go on to those. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go through. Yeah, let's talk about them. Let's forget Jose. So the other point <laughs> is, um, uh, I don't think we can get beyond it. And there's no point in talking about like referee decisions and VAR because it's just so tedious. But um, I think Josh de Silva's dismissal has to be discussed because I, I kind of interpreted it one way. I think the officials interpreted it another way. Some have seen it as reckless, and uh, he should be sort of sent to prison um <laughs> the <laughs> i'll just i'll go through how i kind of saw it so um he has the ball um he's about to do, perform a trick because hoybier is closing him down he's trying to sort of snap it through his legs uh and to do that you flick it through your legs and you plant your other foot your right foot in his case because he's left-footed so hmm. his stronger foot is his left his right foot isn't quite for standing on but it's certainly a weaker foot um, he wouldn't be able to tackle with that foot. He'd always tackle with his left as much as he could because it's just so far superior. And then as Hoybier gets closer and closer, his right foot kind of goes down and he, he loses his balance because I think he thinks he's going to get clattered as well. Um, so we have this sort of falling player and then he's sliding down Hoybier's leg and the outcome is just, well, yeah, we have this blood coming out of Hoybier's leg. He's fuming, he's running around thinking he's been assaulted. Um, Josh Silva is pleading innocence because he's in the middle of a trick he's trying to do a skill to get to evade a player it's it's almost as if um if we think about Zidane's sort of pirouettes that he does on the ball it's if he does one of those those sort of um those rainbow flicks that he does if if a player's in the way and he's the foot that he's sort of spinning away from if he scratches down his shin it's not really intentional nothing's happened there it's just um it's just a coming together and it's unfortunate it looks so bad so I think Joshua Silva got a bit of um bad press from that I think there was a lot of people outraged and the commentary team were outraged as well thinking something really bad had gone on and yeah I think looking back at it now I think maybe everyone would have a bit of a calmer head and um, seeing that it was accidental and calmed down a little bit but yeah I, I don't know what um, what your assessments were what did you think yeah again it's I don't know I, I try and make a, <laughs> a habit of not talking about these sorts of things mm. but it, it is an interesting one I think I think you can call it a red card without having to necessarily think that it's intentional mm. um and and without thinking it's anything other than um a, 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 I sp- well I suppose it was it was a challenge in good faith I think um rather than you know being a little bit cynical so I think it's just a little bit unfortunate and um uh, I, I don't like how <laughs> that that people will jump on these sorts of things and 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 use it as a as a way of bandwagoning mm. ideas that they think about refereeing or not i think it's just one of those things where you just say yeah it I, for me it was probably a red card these things happen you've just got to take it and, and move on it's really really unlucky and um yeah i guess that brings us back to spurs being lucky but <laughs> um yeah I, I thought also with the with the the offside goal as well it, it's interesting how um, I think someone on Twitter mentioned that it would it would have, would have stood as a goal if it had taken place at, at the Brentford Stadium, um, and that's just how arbitrary it's become now. You know, um, it, it's it's again it's, it's it's a shame that football has become about like dotting eyes and crossing t's mm. and legalism and stuff like that, which is mainly why I try and stay out of these sorts of debates because I, I figure that no one ca- like no one really i know that people like to moan about refereeing decisions but they like to re- moan about refereeing decisions and because they like to moan and the problem has become now that <laughs> yeah, the problem has a... become now that it's become like a, some kind of like nitpicking mm. like m- moaning that you know has been given a little bit more of a platforms by dint of the fact that um you can simply you can simply point to tapes and say, well, this is what should or shouldn't have happened. Um, whereas before it was just kind of like, oh, you know, the referee hates us. 
we're, we've been robbed and then you move on mm. and, and <laughs> next week happens whereas now it's this whole sort of um aggregation of narratives about about var and it you know as soon as one thing happens it's added to this whole backlog discussion and the whole thing it's like tearing a scab off a wound <laughs> over and over again isn't it whereas i think before there was the ability to just step back and be like yeah you know we were unlucky we we, we lost that game because of the referee and then you leave it at that you won't have the same referee next week so it's fine mm. Yeah, I'm I'm completely on board with it with you. Um tedious is probably not even the right word, it's beyond beyond tedious. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway, let's move on again quickly. So the other point, uh yeah, just what I found quite interesting is um I guess when you're going into these big games you're trying to predict lineups and you're looking at who they're going to play. And I thought Marcondes would play actually. I thought um he has a couple of skills that um and some some traits that would have benefited this game and I don't, I don't know. Looking back at the flow of it, I think it it was fine. It wasn't it wasn't um, a big thing. Uh, but I, I'd have what I'd have done is I think I'd have had Marcondes start instead of Jensen. I, I think I know why Frank likes Jensen in there because he's a little bit better defensively. He won't commit ahead of the ball as much. Um, just gives you a bit of a solid base. And I think they were worried about uh, Kane and Son breaking on them and just having enough bodies around that deeper area. But they were t- they were good enough anyway. So I don't think it would have mattered. But I think there were times where, just in some of our attacking phases, we looked like there was only one or two routes. And I think Marcondes is really clever because he can get into the forward line and he does commit. And I guess you're in a semi-final. You've got you've only it's a one-off. It's a sort of shootout. It's you've got to go for it. And I think we controlled the game okay. We were good through long periods, but just um, just sort of sometimes attacking with two or three, he can he can bring an extra person into that front line and just um, just sort of unsettle, especially a team that sits deep, just cause a little bit more issues and make the centre-backs think a little bit more about who they have to pass on or make Hoiberg or, or Sissoko or Ndombele drop a little bit deeper and make some more space for De Silva. So mm. it's easy to like, yeah, I guess the easy sort of thing is like, let's just change this one thing and everything's almost better. Like if I if I swap Jensen out for Marcondes, we'd have won. I'm not quite saying yeah. that, but <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I think... I think Marcondes is slightly more physical and I think there were a few occasions where there were duels against Sissoko and Ndombele, some of the the strongest players in the game, that Marcondes is a little bit smarter about getting his body in the way or just winning a few more fouls or, or not being so, actually, I've got to get a touch here and I've got to move the ball away and then play. Whereas Jensen is, um, he's not shy of getting involved and sort of getting into these duels, but because he's even more of a footballer, I think he sees it more of his duty to keep the ball playing and keep playing when Marcondes is just a little bit more nastier and he'll happily take a foul and he'll say, right, if you want to foul me, go and do it. And then he'll let the game start again. So I don't know. There were just a couple of incidents where I thought I'd have had Marcondes in from the start. Um, yeah, that's that's. I guess that's all I, uh, that's all I sort of wanted to say on the matter, really. Mm. Well, let's move on. Um, to talk about I think we've got a few questions really about the transfer window so uh, before we close up just uh, rip through those I think so Lee Clifton on Twitter asks looking at Brentford from the outside as a Jill supporter Rico Henry is 23 Sergi Canyos is 23 Josh Silva 22 Marcus Fors 21 and Brian and Bemo 21 how important is youth development for Brentford and is signing young players a focus for Brentford in the January transfer window what do you make of that? Uh, yeah, it's a good observation, isn't it? Um, I, I think the key theme there is look at all these young 21-year-old players and probably should have highlighted that for the Spurs game. I think we had an average age of like 24, something like that. Spurs are average age of 27, 28. So there's a gulf there. But yeah, it, it's just the strategy. It, youth development is really important to Brentford because if you think about everything you want to do as a football team, if you want to improve, then generally your 28, 29, 30-year-olds aren't going to do much more improving. Um, They're on the way down in their careers or their value is probably going down unless something really weird happens and the market changes in some way or, yeah, sort of regulations mean a player becomes more expensive. But all of these players are always looking to improve. They're looking to to upgrade and their standards improve. So it's really important. Um, he asks about so the January window. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there's already been a signing confirmed signing into the B team. Max Hagar from Man United. He's been hanging around for a bit and trialing a few games, but he's joined. Um, I don't know. In the January window, I wouldn't have thought it's young players you're interested in. Um, I think if you're going to sign someone in January, unless it's for three years in the future, maybe you're looking for an impact now and it's more circumstantial. Mm. So it would be someone that could probably come into the team and, and sort of fill a hole that 
you're drastically missing or urgently missing. So, I don't, yeah, I don't see young players being the focus in the January window, but young players will always be the core of Brentford's um, hmm. sort of business model, yeah. In line with that, Lewis Sluman asks, if we added one or two players in January, what would you be looking for? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, if I was in charge of the purse strings and I was a DOF, what would I be doing? Oh, Thomas Frank. I, I don't know. I was looking at the um, the squad depth chart and there's a glare. I think Brentford are quite covered in a lot of areas, but the glaring hole is, I think it's probably defensive midfield. So Norgard looks like a key injury now. Um, I think the midfield can get through possibly with Janelt, Jensen and De Silva and then sort of Marcondes coming in and out. It probably can cope, but... I think there's tough, there's tough um, sort of challenges to come throughout this period. And if if Norgard is injured for any sort of long term, I wonder if they are looking at another midfielder to come in. Um, I, th- I think we'll see how serious this is because I, I wouldn't have thought Janelle Jensen and De Silva and Marcondes can play this season out with just those four. I think either we'll see a tactical shift and we might go to sort of three central defenders and two midfielders or someone will come in. Um, Baptiste doesn't look like he's returning soon either. So, yeah, my my two areas I think they'll be looking at is probably someone in central midfield, a bit more deeper, maybe someone experienced who might push us over the line uh, and possibly a... Wide forward, I think. I think another area might be someone they've been looking at for a while and um, not getting football somewhere and maybe come in on the, maybe supporting on the left wing. But yeah, those two areas, I think defensive midfield looks weak and maybe sort of wide forward. Simon Radford asks, what would you look for in terms of a January player adapting more quickly? How much uncertainty is there around this compared to a player brought in in the summer? And how much would you weigh up whether to plump for a player in January versus the summer? So lots of meta questions there about the January window. Yeah, January window. Yeah, so I I guess I sort of touched it from my angle earlier in that last question. Um, January's just a weird window, isn't it? It's like, yeah, just it's like firefighting, isn't it? If you've got an issue you need to solve, then January is you try and solve it because you're midway through the season. Um, summer is more about dedicated planning because the window's larger and you can plan bigger window. And January is all all about, I guess, what's up and what's available. It might not be it might not be something you've planned for, but a player becomes available, so you sort of snap him up. So, yeah. I I don't know. I, I, I think if the right player came along and a good centre mid was available, I think they wouldn't hesitate to, to snap him up. But then again, um, yeah, you're more dedicated planning. And this is what Brentford do. They're, they're more of an exploiting the market in January than signing in January. And uh, they'll do their business in the summer, I think. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And then one final question, a question that we've actually touched on quite a bit already, but um, I'll I'll allow you to give a a quick answer to John Hannon, who asks, where does Norgard fit in when when he returns? Does Yanelt miss out or can they both be played in the same 11? Uh, Yeah, yeah, so this is a good one. Yeah, but I think we have, we've briefly touched on this. I I don't see a problem with them playing together. I I don't know if it's it's optimal. It might be that Yanelt isn't quite as good attacking wise and yeah, he's, 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 offers a threat there but it might be that you can play an even more attacking a player who is better than him alongside him but I, I don't see them not playing out to play together at all it's um they both have quali- uh, qualities that can complement each other so it's I don't think it's a case of anybody missing out I think it's more going to be who's fit enough to get on the pitch and get us through this uh, this gruesome season yeah well here we are we've arrived at the end of the podcast I feel like we've fitted a huge amount in um, into an hour we've we've talked about a really good month for, for bees and um, let's hope next I said this last time next, let's hope next time that we record this podcast we'll have another great month to talk about so I feel as though that, that wish came true over Christmas this time but let's hope that by the time we get to February and we're looking back on January we'll have the same um, positivity to talk about so um, thanks again to everyone who sent in questions really appreciate those coming in uh, in terms of housekeeping stuff do share the Bees Tactical page, which is at Bees Tactical on Twitter. Um, there is a substack, beestactical.substack.com, and you can subscribe to the Patreon channel, which is a way of getting bonus material that's exclusively available to patrons at patreon.com forward slash Bees Tactical. Um, obviously, the the watchword there is Bees Tactical. If you search for that, you will you will come up with these channels. And one final thing, if you could give us reviews and uh, and and likes and subscriptions wherever you get your podcast that would be absolutely great that will see us rocketing up the the charts and become more visible to other 
listeners. So thank you very much if you managed to get around to doing that. Uh, David, we've arrived at the end of the podcast. It's been a great December. Um, how are you looking forward to January? Well, yeah, it feels like we're halfway through it already, doesn't it? But yeah, great <laughs> month. Um, hopefully it's going to be positive as well. A couple of cup games in the beginning, which um, are of varying levels of interest. Um, but yeah, back into the league very soon. Um, but yeah, just before we go, John, I guess there's some um, some of your own news as well we should talk about. Your, uh, yeah. your, uh, your new signing. Um, you signed for <laughs> a big rival. Um, they're a big club. They've come in. They've 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 waived the big money and they've made a heavyweight <laughs> signing. Do you want to do you want to chat about that to our listeners? Yeah. So I've I've just taken up a contract with Analytics FC, who are a basically a data consultancy company who work with a lot of football clubs, including Leeds United. Interestingly, um, they have a a scouting platform called Transfer Lab. Uh, but I've been brought on board to do a lot of their basically a lot of their media stuff. So I'll be putting out uh, editing and putting out. Con- uh, content in terms of written stuff so articles and i'll be running a monthly podcast as well over there so um yeah i've uh, my my cup overfloweth and i'm I'm really grateful <laughs> for the opportunity to to be doing that as well i get to speak to some really really cool people within the data analytics world um through that job so yeah it's going to be really good fun yeah brilliant i think if you like anything on here um yeah just go straight over there you'll be i think you'll be more than happy with uh, with what you find at analytics fc and uh, and john's um john's influence yeah they're lucky to have him mm. well thank you so much for that david and thank you for chatting to me today no problem. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 